0: Welcome to Anchor Church. I'm Madison and we're so happy you're here. At Anchor Church, we love helping you develop your unique spiritual giftings and grow in your relationship with God. We believe that God created you on purpose and for a purpose and our heart is to help you discover and live out the life God intended for you to live. If you're joining us online, don't forget to subscribe and turn on the notification bell so you can know every time we go live. Also, text the number on the screen for prayer or to get connected. If you're here in person, you'll find our welcome card and our prayer card located in the seat back in front of you. Please fill those out so we can get to know you or pray with you. Bring your welcome card out to the Connect Center after service and we'll give you a gift card for coffee on us. Prayer is such a big part of our spiritual life. It's so important in helping us to level up. Last week, We started 21 days of prayer and we handed out our choose joy prayer journals if you didn't get a chance to grab one head out to the connect center after service or email us at hello at myanchor.church and we'll get one to you we're also holding a daily prayer room on zoom from 7 to 8 a.m make sure to download our app for all of our 21 days of prayer resources if you find yourself struggling to pray or you'd like to know more about it We're also starting a recurring prayer class with Pastor Tammy. It's starting next Sunday during the 915 service in our growth track room. Alongside prayer, we know community can serve as the tangible representation of God's presence surrounding us and supporting us as we walk through life. Separation from people was never God's intention for us, and the loss of a loved one can plummet us into deep places of despair and hopelessness. If you're walking through life after loss, you don't have to grieve alone. We host Grief Share meetings here on Fridays from 5 to 6.45 p.m. starting January 21st. If you missed anything we just said, text the number on the screen or come out to the Connect Center and we'll answer any of your questions. With that, let's get ready for the message. Take out your notes and let's welcome Pastor Rob to the stage.
1: Hey, hey, how's it going? How's everybody doing? You, you brave coming out in the storm, the COVID storm, welcome, so, and by the way, you've come out on one of the most beautiful days ever. Anybody with me on that? I just want to look in the camera and welcome all of our folks joining us online. I know I have friends, the church has friends all over the world. Can I just say, and love your, we love our online family, but today... Because I know one of my friends is deep in the snow. In fact, he showed me showed a picture of me shoveling snow the other day, and he says all it is is ice. He was straining. Can I look into your uh, in the camera, Arnold, and say it is the killer day here in Hawaii, Nick. <laughs> Sorry to make you feel bad, but yeah, we welcome you, our beautiful online family. Welcome. If you need a prayer journal like we were just talking about, make sure that you pick one up as you leave or email us if you're online. We'd love to get you to give one. Let me, let me tell you the genesis of this journal because I, I want to take the Anchor family on a journey this year. And when, my, when and my wife and I love going on vacation, we love taking adventures, and she literally journals every day on our trip. So we can go back to those moments along the trip and just relive those memories, those amazing memories. And that's what this is about. As we take this journey this year, and of course, it's not to a physical location, it's to a spiritual destination. And that we're going to, and I want to take this family to places in your walk with God, that your trust and passion and love would go deeper than any other time in your life. Because I believe this. As you grow, this, if this is your best spiritual year, this will be your best year ever. And this journal is to allow, whatever the Lord's doing in your life, It possibly a prayer journal that you're writing down your prayer requests. And you'll look back at the end of the year and watch the amazing, miraculous move of God in your life as you lift up your prayers to the Lord. Maybe it's a, a gratitude journal, writing the things that you're the most grateful for in your life, whatever that would be. What times maybe you're in prayer and the Lord's speaking to you and you're following those direction, those dreams that the Lord's given you, the wonder of God, you're writing that down and you're watching how that will play out in your life. That's what this journal is all about. So if you don't have one, just go outside and get one on the way out. Because We're in a year right now, I believe the Lord's really sewn into a direction for us. And it's summed up in this phrase, that we, the anchor family, would choose joy. That we would choose joy. Of course, joy is not something you pick off a shelf or you talk yourself into it. Choose joy, choose joy, choose joy. Eh, No way. Joy is what happens when you experience something deep down inside of you. And for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the raw material of joy. And today, I've invited one of the guys, a a member of the church, Kimo and Laurie, a part of the church, Pastor Kimo, as well as he's a part of our preaching team. And today will be an amazing time. It'll be the first time he's preached here at Anchor Church. Won't be his last. But we're going to sow into the bonding agent of joy. Because there is no possible, conceivable way you'll ever experience joy if you don't have love. So I'd love you to stand to your feet and welcome Pastor Kimo.
2: Thank you, Pastor Law. Thank you, folks. Yeah. Go ahead and sit down. Thank you. Yeah. Well, good morning, Anchor Church. And good morning, Online Anchor Church as well. Interesting, that whole concept of online that we're doing right now. It's a really amazing thing. Um, I'm stoked to be here with you. I I know that Pastor Rob said this will not be my last time. We'll have to see about that (laughs) afterwards. But, you know, um, we have a great preaching staff here and great uh, uh, people that serve here. It's an amazing church. My wife and I have been coming here off and on for 35 years when we… uh, we moved to the mainland. Every time we would come home, we would always visit this church when it was over at uh, Ben Parker School. Some of you folks are still there, yeah, uh, in, in those days. And we've always experienced the love of Christ here and just an amazing fellowship. So we're glad to be a part of this. We moved back in May. My, my daughter was Hapai, and she called us. She said, okay, we're moving back. And uh, we're so grateful that uh, we were able to come to this church and meet all you folks. This is a whole different congregation than Friday night in uh, the early morning uh, 730 group, yeah? But it's fun to get to know some of you. I get to talk about something that's really exciting. I get to talk about choosing love, and I get to talk about it from the greatest love story of all time right here. Isn't that amazing? This whole book is about love. And, uh, you know, when you think about love, I'm sure that there are certain thoughts that go through your mind. Maybe uh, butterflies in the stomach, squishy toes, uh, <laughs> long walks on the beach, holding hands, gazing into each other's eyes, all tied to emotion, yeah, feeling within your, uh, yourself. According to the research, there are some real health benefits for loving others. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. One is that we live longer. The research shows that when we love someone, we live longer. We heal quicker, we have lower blood pressure, good for guys like me. We bolster our immune systems. We are more physically fit. No need exercise, just love people. you be buff. We enjoy good heart health, and we feel less pain, and that's always important. But it's uh, so amazing huh, what love can do for us, yeah? And sometimes it's just a word. We just think about it as a word, but it has some uh, amazing implications. We're surrounded by the concept of love. We watch television, movies, all those things, listen to the radio. Everything is about love out there. They've written lots of different songs about love over time. I wanted to just list a few of these. Uh, What's love got to do with it? Tina Turner, remember her? I never ever do anything easy. (laughs) She used to say. All you need is love. The Beatles, Can't Help Falling in Love, Elvis Presley, I love me, Demi Lovato, who would have known? Uh, I want want to know what love is, by foreigner. Love yourself, Justin Bieber, and I will always love you, the late Whitney Houston. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, maybe you can think back and remember your very first love, yeah? Going way back for me, uh, was middle school, Jefferson Elementary. Was it Jefferson Elementary? Anyway, middle school, many years ago and I was like 12, 13 years old, and uh, I was a Boy Scout. Any Boy Scouts in the room, ex-Boy Scouts? Yeah, a few of us are still around, yeah? Boy Scouts have taken a lot of pounding these days. <laughs> but uh, I remember we had a dance coming up, first dance for most of us, you know, 12, 13-year-old boys. We, we didn't know anything about that, but they wanted to kind of introduce us to uh, the, the world of the opposite sex, and, of course, sex, we didn't even use that word back in those days. But, you know, middle school, you start to recognize that, that there's a difference between men and women, boys and girls. They start to look a little different. They're a little more, the ladies are a little more shapely. And, and, and you're looking at, looking at them with fascination because, hey, what is underneath all of that? How come you look different than, than all my friends? And uh, I remember back in those days, the closest thing to pornography in those days was National Geographic magazine. Remember that one? Yeah? I remember I had a friend at school, and his parents had a subscription in National Geographic. So after the whole family read it, he would sneak it over to school, and we'd go behind the portable bathrooms, and we would look at the pictures of the ladies from Africa. You know, the African tribes' ladies, because they they dress pretty scantily. And I don't think we were lusting so much as we were just fascinated that, oh, look at this lady's body is so different than, uh, than guys. So it was a real fascination as we began to grow and develop some thoughts towards the opposite sex. So... We had this uh, uh, Boy Scout dance. Of course, my dad had to drive us, you know. And it was all formalized. My parents bought me a little suit and a little tie, clip-on tie, yeah, back in those days. Gave the girl a little boutonniere, is that what you call it, a little flower? that She wore on her wrist. I have no idea what that's for. Uh, but uh, maybe if you smell real bad, she sniffs her flower and feels better. But uh, anyway, I remember at the beginning of the dance, we're all sitting around the edge of an auditorium, or I can't remember where, basketball, Uh, gymnasium or something. And the music started, and of course, you know, you're sitting boy, girl, boy, girl. All the guys wanted to really sit by themselves, and the girls wanted to sit by themselves, but they made us sit with our date. And uh, nobody would get up and dance, because it was kind of a shame, you know. So I remember the scout leaders and their wives, they went up and started dancing, you know. And so gradually, we each got up with with our date. And I remember we got up there, and I put my arms like this, yeah, and we were like, you know, going around in a circle because I didn't have any dance moves. I had no moves at all. <laughs> and But after about the second circle, I thought, okay, I'm going in for the squeeze. So I went and I went like this. And I heard this little crinkling sound. And I glanced down. I didn't want to make, I didn't want to stare because I knew that was wrong, right? I glanced down. I saw a newspaper sticking out of her brassiere. And I thought, oh, what is that? I thought, I went back like that, you know. And you know, I know she felt shame. I, know, I mean, I didn't say anything, but she knew I wouldn't him them out. And, and so uh, I realized that all those shapes are not all natural at that age. We never talked to each other again after that, by the way, after that night. <laughs> but you know, it, it wasn't love at that point. I, I call it my first love. Uh, my wife always says when I bring it up, she said, "Yeah, she was ugly." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree, baby. If you're watching this, yes, yeah, she was ugly. But you know, we're faced with lots of choices in life right now, and and uh, God has really wired us to love someone or something. It's just part of the way we are. It's the way God designed us. But uh, because of that, there are a lot of substitutes that we can end up loving—cars and surfboards and hairstyles and makeup and whatever it is. Uh, we all had these certain loves that we kind of grew up with over time, and we still hang on to stuff like that. But the problem is these are substitutes for the love that God uh, wants us to experience, yeah? And over time, uh, those things can bring heartache and disillusionment. They're not the lasting love that, that God wants. And, and when we love God and God loves us, it brings really great joy. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go forward. So what does the Bible say about love? What does the Bible say about love? Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and see if we can get there. To love is a choice. To love is a choice. Matthew 22 says, in response to a question from a teacher of the law, Jesus replied, "You must you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind." This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important: love your neighbor as yourself." Well, I remember the first time I saw this, I saw the word "must," and I just recoiled, because I was kind of a rebellious kid, like maybe a couple of you were in this in this room, yeah. And I see that word "must." That means, oh, that's that's a that's a command. That's an obedience issue, and I don't. I, you must make your bed in the morning. Just reminding me of all that stuff, you know. You must eat your vegetables, yeah. And uh, and so naturally, it's not a natural response for me to must love God, love someone else. The um, Bridgeway Bible Commentary says, "'The fact that people are commanded to love shows that love is primarily a matter of doing, making a choice, not a feeling. It is an attitude of loyal obedience that governs a person's mind, will, and emotions.'" the teacher of the law immediately saw that such a requirement as this was greater than all the requirements of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. He realized that God required change within people's hearts more than formal obedience to ceremonial love. You see, love is more than a feeling. It's more than a feeling. It's a choice that we make. And this whole book is taught, and and what we do here in church and in the body of Christ is to be transformed by the Word of God, so that when we choose to love God, because we must love Him, we're doing it uh, not just out of pure obedience, but because we are responding to the love that God has given us. He's molded and shaped us. He's transformed us to be a more loving person. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was not a loving person growing up. We've, I got into lots of fights and got into all kind of craziness and stuff like that, but uh, over time the Lord has been shaping and molding me like He has each of you. Yeah. So love is a choice; it's an act of obedience. But in making this choice, the result is great joy. Great joy. Let's see that. Uh, in First Peter one eight it says, "You love Him even though you never you've never seen Him, though you do not see Him now, you trust Him and rejoice with a glorious." inexpressible joy. That's 1 Peter 1.8. 1 Peter 1.8. So, when we choose to live, joy is the result. Uh, Choose to love, joy is the result, yeah? When we love, joy is the result. Think about it in the temporal sense with your spouse or your your special someone. When you love that person, you experience that joy inside. You want to be with that person all the time. You want to hang out. You just want to share life together. It's an important thing. In Matthew 22... It says there are two objects of love. Loving God is one thing, but what about loving your enemies? Whoo, wait a minute, Kimo. I don't want to go there. <laughs> loving our enemies, this is a very difficult thing. And the Bible says to love our neighbor as ourself. And what if we don't get along with our neighbor? Yeah, last night, one of my neighbors had a motorcycle. He had cranked it up, Harley. About 9.30, about 10.15, it was still just idling outside. And I started praying, Lord, please help him to run out of gas. <laughs> because I didn't want to go out there and make, try to make datara or a scene or something like that. Yeah. Uh, one of the greatest examples we see of loving our, anim- our enemies is in the book of Acts. Uh, chapter 6 and chapter 7 discuss this uh, describe what happened here. The Greek converts they were... Uh, really upset because their their widows were not being um, given enough food during the food pantry as they were handing out food. They were being discriminated against. And the apostle said, look, we can't do everything that we're doing by praying and teaching and all of this and that uh, without some help. And they said, we need to find seven people full of the Holy Spirit Men of God that can help us. And today we call these deacons. Many of you serve as deacons in this church. A very important, important part of ministry. And of those seven, one of them was a man named Stephen. And, and this is uh, one of the greatest uh, stories that I've ever, ha- I've ever seen in the Bible about this concept of loving our enemies. Uh, this is uh, Acts chapter 6, 8 through 12. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. "...performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, "'We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people and the elders and the teachers of the religious law.' So they arrested Stephen, brought him before the high court. Now, after he was convicted, okay, they brought him in. He was guilty until proven innocent was kind of the approach they took. Uh, So after he was convicted, in chapter 7, it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And we know Saul later became the Apostle Paul, yeah? As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. You see, Stephen chose to love his enemies who persecuted him, those that persecuted him. That's a hard place to be. Those same words are spoken by Jesus at the cross. So Stephen had walked long enough with Christ to develop this love for those that hated him, that, uh, the, that were his enemies. He had developed this. He had been transformed. His heart had been molded into a Christ-like attitude and heart. Love is not a normal res- uh, first response, particularly when it comes to loving our enemies. Let's talk about some of the practical ways uh, that we can love our enemies. First of all, pray for your enemies. What? I don't want to pray for my enemies. Matthew five forty four says, "But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you." You see, there's something that happens when we begin to pray for somebody that we don't like. Our heart begins to soften. We begin to em- begin to empathize with them. We begin to feel what they may be feeling like. I remember for many years driving down the freeway and somebody would cut me off and, and they would flip you off, you know, that, all that kind of craziness that goes on on the, on the road. And I would get angry because I grew up as a kind of an angry kid. We used to fight at the drop of a hat in my neighborhood. And uh, I remember my wife, she was so kind and gracious and godly. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me her. I hope you have one like that. But she would turn to me and say, honey, you know, you don't even really know what that person went through today. Maybe somebody died in their family. Maybe they, somebody that they know and they, they love, maybe they went to prison. Maybe something happened. And over time, I had to as she would say that to me over and over again, every time I would get angry, somebody coming out, I began to walk in that same kind of mindset, and it began to help change my heart. And of course, obviously, as I begin to spend time in the word and grow in the Lord, it helped me to begin to pray for my. Uh, my enemies. It's an amazing thing that happens if you'll start to pray for your enemies. Uh, and, uh, Romans 12, I uh, bless those who persecute. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. So, not just pray that God changes them, but God blesses them as well. The next one, stop and think before you speak. Anybody here ever just blurted something out and wish you could take it back? Yeah, at least a couple of us here, yeah? It's not like email. You can't cancel it. You can't say, I didn't mean that. I mean, it's, it, once it's out there, it's out there, right? And whatever damage that has done has, has happened already. So you can't cancel that. You can't hit cancel. James 1.19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And then Ephesians 4 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an, an encouragement to those who hear them. You know, using, getting used to using foul and abusive language, you find that you will use it in situations that you would not want to, like talking to Pastor Rob. There he goes, Wah! and you'll think, oh my, he must think I'm a real heathen he won't. He'll still love you. But I can tell you, it it will make you feel bad inside. So don't even get in the habit of using foul and abusive language, because it comes out at the wrong times to the wrong people in the wrong situations, yeah? Here's another one that's a little challenging. Love should expect nothing in return. Love should expect nothing in return. Luke chapter 6 says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you, give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Verse 35, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. So if we follow this, if every one of us followed this, and we lent something to somebody without it uh, expecting it to be returned, we wouldn't have anything, but we'd be full of love for that person, yeah? (laughs) Yeah. It's a real challenge. Uh, I would say this. If there are things that you really, really love and and don't want to lend, don't do it. That doesn't mean you lend the junkiest stuff you got. Always give your best, yeah? But don't expect it in return because if you expect it in return, then there is a transaction going on. This is now a transaction. This is not just giving out of your heart to somebody. Uh, But it's a challenge. We have to learn to say, okay, I'm lending this to you And you don't have to say, I'm not expecting it back, okay? Because they won't give it back. But you want them to hopefully bless you by returning it. But just lend it to them. And then just ask the Lord to help you to have the right heart and not to expect that in return to get it back. You know, um, sometimes we see love as a transaction, yeah? Marriage is a transaction. And, uh, you know, the world says, oh, marriage is a a 50-50 proposition, But I don't believe that because if it's 50 50 when you give your 50 you're expecting 50 percent back right so now there's an expectation and when that person for some reason disappoints you by not returning that love in some form or fashion that you would prefer now they've let you down and then your heart begins to grumble yeah you start to develop hard feelings towards that person this is one of the biggest problems i think we have we see in a lot of marriages today my My uh, perspective is that we should it should be a hundred percent hundred percent proposition because if you give one hundred percent there's nothing else to give or nothing else to be returned right There is no concern for that and uh, and men, if you will initiate something, most women will respond to that that's kind of how we're wired yeah that's kind of how we 're wired so do good, bless pray, give, love your enemies you know we've been talking a lot about the Uh, the physical benefits, but let's look at some of the eternal benefits of uh, love. Uh, Love increases our heavenly rewards. Now, you may not think about this, because we live in a temporal society. We kind of live day to day, month to month. Uh, But the reality is that we are all going to live in eternity, for eternity. Some will live with God, some will live in other places, (laughs) right? And it's warm there. (laughs) So, you know, recognize that we, we, our lives are a speck on a timeline of eternity. We have the 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, if you're from Okinawa, 110, 115 <laughs> uh, years to, to be introduced to God, to embrace His love, and to begin to live out your life in obedience to, to God. You know, we can get saved and make it into heaven and just have a horrible life at, uh, after we accept Him, a useless life. Of course, salvation and responsibilities are two different things, right? Salvation is like, accept the Lord uh, into my heart, I'm going to follow him. But even if you don't follow him, you're going to make it into heaven. You're just not going to have any great job or responsibilities. You might be parking cars, you know, at the hotel or something, or washing cars, or maybe worse, cleaning the bathrooms, I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I want to do something useful. I want to do something that's contributing to society. And so I live my life as best I can in obedience to God so that my salvation is already given. I know where I'm going. Now I'm just doing, trying to do good on a daily basis so that I can have some additional responsibilities when I get up there. Um, Luke chapter 6 says, love your enemies, do good, and lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. Uh, This scripture also says that God is kind to the unthankful and the wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. You know, God loves his enemies. Christ died for the people who love him as well as the people who hate him. He didn't make a he didn't say, okay, you hate, you hate me, or you will hate me, or you will never love me. I'm not dying for you. He didn't do that. God loves those who are unthankful and wicked as well as those who, are, who love him. And, you know, there's a scripture that, uh, and these are the enemies of God that, that he loves. There's a scripture that says that rain falls on the just and the unjust. And sometimes in our culture, we think of rain, oh, it's rainy outside. I can't go to the beach. It's going to be ugly. But you've got to remember, back in these days, this was an agricultural society, an agrarian society. Rain was a really good thing. So it says, when it rained on the just and the unjust, that was a good thing. And it showed people, okay, uh, I'm a follower, a follower of Christ. This rain is good for me. But look, oh, God's also blessing the unjust. So we have to recognize that God loves both the just and the unjust. Um. The theologian Dr. Wayne Grudem says, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses… I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Um, John 15 says, there is no greater love than to lay down uh, one's life for one's friends. No greater love. If you ever watch war movies, I know, guys, we like action in war movies, and if it doesn't have something blowing up, then I don't typically want to watch it, you know? Uh, But you know the war movies where the guy throws himself down on the hand grenade, saves all of his buddies. Of course, he dies, and it saves all of his buddies. Those are all really moving things for most men. I don't know how ladies uh, view that kind of thing, the concept of self-sacrifice. But there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So if we follow that same rationale, wouldn't it be reasonable to say there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's enemies? Doesn't that make sense? Jesus died for the just and the unjust, for His enemies as well. As Pastor Rob mentioned last week, you know, the media is constantly using fear to to get our attention because for them it's really a matter of getting our eyes on it and clicking, and clicking. So let's see what love does to fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. In 1 John 4 it says, And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. This word perfect is mature. It grows mature. You know, the the love that we have as, as middle schoolers, schoolers or high school, very immature kind of love. But the love that we have after 30 years of marriage, very mature, very mature. The commitment there is there. The life has been spent together. So this concept of it grows more perfect. So that, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for the fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. You know, uh, this concept of, of of fearing dying, fearing death in the judgment, yeah? For Christians, by the way, the judgment we face is called the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat judgment. In Greek uh, Olympic times, the Bema seat was an elevated chair that sat at the finish line of the, Olympic, uh, the Greek Olympics. And it was from this seat that they, the ones who won the races were, uh, received their awards, their rewards, yeah? So Christians, when we go to be with the Lord and we face judgment, what all we're going to be doing is celebrating the things that we did. Some may have a very short ceremony. I don't know. I'm hoping mine will last for a long time. But, but all the things that you didn't do in obedience to Christ, all the bad things, you know, we're judged for that. But we're, but they are not. They are under the blood. We don't see that. We're not going to see a, a video of, oh, look, you did this. Oh, you look, you did that. Oh, you look, oh, oh, look at that. You, you bugger. You're not going to see that kind of stuff. You're just going to be rewarded for the good things that you did uh, as you served the Lord on this earth. Unfortunately, those who don't follow Christ are going to have a very different uh, judgment. It's called the White Throne Judgment. That's the one where they're punished for their sins and, and, uh, and not walking in God's ways. Uh, so, there's another important aspect of what love does. Love covers over a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4 says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. For love will cover a multitude of sins. You see, when we when we forgive somebody out of love, we're lifting the burden off of them. They don't have to feel guilty anymore. They may know, recognize, and acknowledge they did they offended you in some way. And you're basically saying, look, don't worry about that. It's it's water under the bridge. We don't need to worry about that. But there's actually something else that happens to us. There's something else that happens to us in that process. When we love others, we are free from allowing offenses to establish and grow in our hearts. The theologian uh, Wayne Grudem says, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses, and even some large ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion, every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound. Isn't this true, though? You ever been around somebody who's really paranoid? You have to walk on eggshells. Anything you say to them is going to be misconstrued, or they're going to think something really weird, yeah? And so when you forgive someone else for their sins, basically what you're doing is saying, look, I'm not going to allow anything you said to me to begin to fester in here and begin to harden my heart. So there's an aspect that that benefits us as well when we forgive those that have trespassed against us that covering over of a multitude of sins. Remember when uh, Stephen was being stoned, he shouted out, Lord, don't charge them with this sin, and then he died. Powerful, powerful moment. Another aspect of God's love is, uh, God's love is never ending. Never ending. It began at the beginning of time, and it never will end. Romans 8.38 says, And I am convinced that nothing can never separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Ephesians 3, 18 says, And may you you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. You know, so many of us deal with this concept of rejection, and rejection generates fear in us. Every one of us has been rejected by somebody, something, some situation, a job, opportunity, all kinds of different things. And we're bombarded with rejection all the time. You watch TV, and you see the really buff-looking guy up on the television screen, you know, the model or something, and us guys went, gee, I wish I looked like that. I don't look like that. Yeah, and I know, ladies, you get it probably even worse because the beauty that you see on, on, uh, on television in in the movies and stuff, that's all, that's all orchestrated. That's all orchestrated. There are beautiful people in all shapes, sizes, colors, and and, and, and dimensions. And yet, media tries to get us to look at this. And in looking at this and trying to embrace this, we feel that sense of rejection. And when we feel rejected, we oftentimes feel that God is rejecting us in that process. It kind of goes there. Many years ago, um, I used to work in the music business, and I lived in Nashville. And I used to manage a a really famous uh, Christian band at that time. And I was in my office one day, and uh, the phone rang. This guy uh, got on the phone, and um, he said, hi, uh, you know, I'm here in Nashville. I'm a musician, I just need someone to talk to. Well, we had had enough phone calls, people asking for money, because we were pretty well known, and our phone number was published. And so, I was a little jaded about that. He said, I just need to get somebody to talk with. I said, where are you? He said, I'm in downtown Nashville. I said, okay, I'll meet you at Shoney's. It was about a 20-minute drive for me. I'll meet you at Shoney's, and uh, we'll get a cup of coffee. So I drove up there, and we went inside. And you can tell this guy had been on the streets. He told me he'd been on the streets for 11 months. And uh, you could tell. It was there. The aroma was there. Coffee didn't kill it. Uh, and uh, uh, a nice guy, he knew the Word of God. He was using scriptures as he was describing what had happened. He said that he walked in on his wife and his pastor. <sighs> talk about deflated me! And uh, as we began to talk, the Lord began to show me that he was angry at God, that he felt God had rejected him in some form or fashion. And uh, as I as I was ministered to him, I said, "You know what? I'm not going to give you any money." but I do want to pray for you. Of course, the eyes rolled back, you know, okay. So we got in my car, and he had his little cell phone, and I started to pray for him. And as I began to pray, I began to speak prophetically to him. And I said, "I said, uh, the Lord's going to show you today in a very tangible way how much he really loves you, because you're not angry at the pastor. You might have some anger, but you're really angry at God, and the Lord wants to show you how much he loves you. So I got them praying. He walked away. I'm driving back down to my office, and now I'm freaking out because I just put God on the spot. You ever put God on the spot? God, you got to do this, okay, because I look real foolish. You know, it's all about me, right? And I'm driving, I'm thinking, oh, and I'm repenting that I put God on the spot. I get back to my office. No sooner did I walk in my office, my phone starts ringing again. I pick it up, and it's him. And he says, oh, brother, he says, I, I just needed to call you right away. He says, after I left your car, uh, I called a friend of mine who is, works with the Promise Keepers, which is a Used to be a a national ministry for men, and he's coming down and uh, he's going to counsel with me. He got me three nights at the Stouffer's Hotel. Well, this is Gospel Music Association Week. Everything, all the events take place at the Stouffers. So to even get a room there was an amazing miracle. And so I'm going, Hallelujah! Uh, That's awesome. You're going to get, you got a room. He's going to come down. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm calling about. I said, okay. He said, as I was walking down to the hotel to meet this friend of mine. I walked past the alley behind the hotel, and I happened to glance down. There was a white envelope on the ground. I went over, reached over, picked it up, turned it over, and on the, on the other side, it read, God loves you. He said, I ripped open the envelope. There was a $50 bill in there. Whoo, chicken skin, Whew. Uh, Of course, you know, I'm just elated that God didn't make me look like a fool, first of all. Then I got my eyes off myself again, said, praise God. But you see, God will do that to to us. He will show you very tangible ways. For the most part, I think most of us don't think about it. God just blesses, blesses, and blesses, and we don't even think about it. Just, oh, that's coincidence. Oh, that just happened this way or that way. God, The Bible says that every hair on our head is numbered. I've got less numbers today than I used to, but that's how much He loves each and every one of us. He can count every hair on our head it's an amazing God to be able to do that. So God's love is never-ending, never-ending. Loving God uh, determines where we'll spend eternity. Okay. I wonder if you could advance that for me. I'm sorry. Not, there we go. Loving God leads to eternal life. You know, we're all going to uh, live in eternity. You know that, right? It just depends where you're going to live. You're going to live with God in his presence, in his kingdom. It's going to be much like this, except there won't be any sin. We'll be able to do all kinds of interesting things. Great book about heaven by Randy Alcorn, if you've never read it. In fact, I know Pastor Rob and some of the other pastors have been preaching on heaven in in times past. But we will all live in eternity. It just depends on where you're going to live. You're going to live here, or you're going to live in a really hot Miami beach somewhere. You know, I don't know. And it's all going to be up to each and every one of us as we make those kinds of choices in life. Uh, John 3.16, everybody knows this one. So, uh, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son uh, so that uh, everyone uh, who believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge, but to save the world through him. And in Romans 5 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we, while we were still sinners and that's through his death and resurrection we are saved from eternal damnation. Big deal. That is a big deal, let me tell you. But you know, the source of all true love is God. To choose God is to choose love. To choose God is to choose, choose love. 1 John 4 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not Love does not know God, for God is love. The essence essence of true love is God. I like to. I'm a teacher, so I like to just do a quick review here of what uh, the topics we covered, the main things. There we go. Uh, we know that love is a choice. Uh, love should expect nothing in return. That's the tough one. Yeah, love increases your heavenly rewards. Perfect love casts out all fear. Love covers over a multitude of sins. God's love is never ending. Loving God leads to eternal life. To choose God is to choose love. I want to read uh, just a short essay before I close here. This uh, was written by Martin Luther King Jr. He's one of our greatest civil rights activists. It's called Loving Your Enemies. It reads To our most bitter opponents, we say, We shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws, because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. Throw us in jail, and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children, and we shall still love you. Send your her- hooded perpetu- uh, perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead, and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will, ne- we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves, we shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process, and our victory will be a double victory. Let me close this in prayer, okay? Let's bow our heads. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to challenge some of you that came here for the first time. Maybe you've never experienced the love of God. There's a tugging at your heart. You're feeling something there. You're thinking, something is going on inside of me. Well, I can tell you, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit woos us to him with his love. And if you're that person and you're feeling that tugging on your heart, I just want you to raise your hand just raise your hand. Nobody's looking. Just let us know. If you're out in the courtyard, raise your hand. If you're online, you can raise your hand, even if you're just the only one sitting there in front of the television set. That's okay. Just let us know. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So just uh, respond by uh, agreement, agreeing agreeing with me in prayer, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, what I heard today, I, I really want to embrace that love. I want to experience the love that that you give to your people. And I come before you confessing the sins that I've had in my past, and I ask, Lord, that you become my Lord and Savior. Touch me today, Lord, with your love. Let me be a part of your kingdom, the body of Christ. Thank you, Father, for this great gift that you've given. And if you're one of those who maybe have drifted away from God, and for some reason you have put a lot of things in the place of loving God, They become substitutes, and you're feeling that empty spot in your heart right now. The Lord wants you to know that he's here for you. He loves you. He's ready to receive you back into fellowship. So if you're one of these, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, there have been times I have drifted away. There have been times when I've not been as close to you as I want to be. I want that intimate relationship with you again. Help me, Father. Help me to lay down those things that have stood in the way of loving you as my first love. Help me, Father, to be that man or woman of God you've called me to be. We just pray these things today
1: in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right.